Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, hello everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode number 550, almost 100. And uh, this is at the end of our uh, second season, our second year. We're going into season three in January. But uh, yeah, welcome, everybody. And I just want to say again, welcome, Donovan, to the podcast, co-hosting. So, wow, this is, a, this is becoming a routine now all of a sudden. Indeed. And, uh, and uh, our, our, guest, our guest is a working uh, police sergeant, and he had to switch his days. And so Minerva couldn't be here because we're recording on a Monday. We normally record every other Friday. But um, so that's pretty cool. So Donovan uh, is pinch hitting for Minerva. And according to Minerva, you're doing a very, very good job. I'm I'm trying to fill in for her the best that I can. <laughs> hey, uh, so we, I just want to throw out some stats. Uh, our last episode with Jim uh, Shum, Shumway, Shumway uh, in, uh, in Oregon, That's uh, that's got 622 plays so far in two weeks, uh, actually a little over a week uh as we record now but that's very very good and we want to thank everybody here we got we're uh going uh to eighty seven thousand uh downloads of the podcasts that's awesome and a couple of uh, a couple of months ago we were at uh, about 500 something downloads per episode and now we're up to 760 episodes uh uh, downloads per episode so that's not bad and our audience is uh, is uh consistently about just over 700 so thank you guys so much for doing that for listening it keeps us uh, motivated to keep going and and we're very thankful for our audience but let's get going with this episode i'm very excited um about this uh we are going to interview jay he's a patrol sergeant in large texas agency and jay welcome to the podcast Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Donovan, how are you? Good, good. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jay, Jay and I met online uh, through Instagram, and uh, we got to talk. And, and the first time I talked to him, um, Jay's old school. He's an old school copper, man. And, uh, and when I was talking to him, I'm like, I got to get you on the podcast. We, you have got to be on the podcast. <laughs> and Donovan, isn't there something about... Um, uh, I guess I guess I'm in the dinosaur age myself. I mean, people say, "Oh, Ken, you're a dinosaur," you know, stuff like that. But I think isn't there something about talking to? I mean, Jay and, and, and Donovan, like talking with old school coppers. Uh, yeah, I just feel like sometimes I don't um, I don't want to talk to cops about TikTok and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> talking to those that are uh, well veteraned is 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 enjoyable every once in a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's just something about it. Uh there's just something about talking to someone who's been on the job for a while. And maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's not generational. Maybe it's has to do with with maturity and, and been there, done that. I've I mean I've done you cannot name a call I have not been on. And just just having that that kind of old salt smooth you know type of down to earth type of thing uh where where i just i just like it i just like talking to old coppers not that you're 
you're old, Jay. I'm not saying that. Um, but as I've said before, police work, uh, police officers age in dog years. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that's just the way it goes. For every every year a police officer works, it's like five years in human life. So, um, <laughs> yep. But well, don't uh, forget, Ken. I mean, the old guys, when we started, were thinking the same thing. They'd rather talk to the old veterans than us young guys. So, yeah. 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 Cycle. I, I wouldn't want to talk to me either. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, uh, Jay, I'm really happy that you're here. Uh, that we're, and you, uh, you are super, super busy. So, I'm glad you carved out some time for us for the podcast to you know give some of that wisdom to to these uh, to these young folks that want to be cops and uh, that's what the podcast is all about but um so let's talk about you uh jay if you could just tell us a little bit about you um how long you've been a cop and how long uh, or you know what got you into it and your assignments and where you grew up and that type of stuff sure so i grew up in south texas um was there all my life, uh, applied with the agency down there in, uh, in, in the city where I grew up in, along with the agency that I'm with now. And at the time, oof, 20 years ago, 20 some odd years ago, um, applying with a large agency, uh, especially where I grew up, they only, they only took applications once a year if you were lucky. Mm-hmm. And there was only one class a year that they hired for. And I remember going down there uh, to the convention center and there was probably several thousand applicants, right? You know, two or 3000 applicants, easy. Uh, everybody went in, we took a seat, took the exam. They, uh, when it was concluded, they ran your scantrons, gave you your score and anybody below a 90, thank you for showing up. We'll, we'll, we'll call you. Mm. And then everybody above a 90, uh, including, uh, veterans with a preferential point system and stuff were invited to come back for their physical. And so you went through that and it was a tough, rigorous process. Like there was a, there was a lot of thought that went into selecting a candidate and the same with the agency that I'm with now, you know, they, they came to my city and they did an expedited testing. Uh, they tried to knock out as much as they could in three days. And at the time I told myself first one that calls, you know, that's where I'm going. Cause I had simultaneous applications going at the same time. And the agency that I'm with right now is the first one that called and everything else is history from that point. So that was uh, almost 20 years ago and it's been a phenomenal ride. Um, you know, we can sit here and we can criticize our departments. We can, you know, go back and nitpick about this or that and this particular policy, this particular chief, but to be honest with you, it's the officers on the ground, the boots on the ground that make it what it is. It's the camaraderies that you build. It's the memories that you build, the um, the events that shape you, that, you know, make you the officer that you are. And for that, I am extremely grateful. And I can I continue to look forward to more, more adventures, more, um, you know, more, more memories to build on and more experiences to share down the road. So you, uh, you've got 20 years and, uh, you're not looking to, to cut out just yet. Not yet. No, I'm not done. Uh, I'm not done playing yet. That's cool. <laughs> I think I still, I, th- I think I still have some, uh, some juice and batteries, so I'm not ready to turn it off yet. Outstanding. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I apologize ahead of time to our, our listeners. I, I got a cold about, oh, almost two weeks ago. And I got over the cold like in three days, but it just lingers. 
So my radio voice that you hear right now is just, <laughs> it's just because of the cold that I'm getting over. <clears throat> so I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and uh, and uh, mute all the all the clearing the throat and all that kind of stuff. But if I don't, I apologize for that, guys. Um, but uh, you uh, your your patrol time. This is really cool that you're a sergeant because Correct. you've got you've got experience in in. Uh, patrol and training um uh, i want to say recruits uh training uh new police officers out of the academy and uh, or fto Correct. and then you also have the supervisory experience where you have to have your own i don't know if they call it what do they call it they used to call it a den your den your squad uh yeah it's a squad we, we refer to it as a squad yeah so you've got you've got your squad and in my squad i've got at any given time, anywhere between six to eight to nine officers, and a couple of them are usually uh, field training officers that rotate as the rookies come through when the when the classes graduate. And so, as a supervisor, you look over their uh, daily observation reports. Uh, the trainers come to you and go, "Hey, listen, this rookie's having issues with this, or they're having trouble with this or that," and you kind of take over as a you know, not just as a supervisor, but a little bit of a mentor. You sit down, you talk to them, ask them what's going on. You know, what what seems to be the issue? What what are we not getting or what are we getting ahead of ourselves on? And you try to, you know, find out what it is that, that that's that's bugging them and see if there's anything that you can do to try to help them overcome that. Because um, they go through different trainers. They have at least they have three full rotations with three different trainers and then on their fourth phase they come back to their original trainer and at that point they're considered basically a one-man officer so their trainer still rides out with them but they clear as a one-man even though they've got their partner there but everything is supposed to be handled at that point at that phase of training as if you were a one-man officer so to get them there there's a there's a there's there's some work there's some finessing that has to be done sometimes and, and uh, Donovan, is that the same for you? Do you do you have like a sergeant, and then you have a certain squad? Yeah, yeah, we have a. Uh, we skip the sergeant level. Um, we're the more um, up to date kind of department, so we're the lieutenant for our super, first line supervisor. I guess it's just a better title, but yeah, we have a lieutenant, and then they're in charge of a squad, and it's the same thing about anywhere between seven to ten officers per squad. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we actually have um, lieutenants who are in charge of the FTO program as well. So sure, they, absolutely. the day to day lieutenants don't have to worry about it. So you don't yeah, have absolutely. sergeants? We do not. No, we have uh, we do have corporals that um, they can fill in in a pinch, um, but they really don't do a lot. It's more of just a title. Uh, the lieutenants are really the first level supervisor for us. And that was. When we started up in 96, they just made that decision out here. And uh, there's a lot of agencies in the Pacific Northwest that um, have skipped the sergeant step and just right to lieutenant. I've never yeah. heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a lot of things that go on in the Pacific Northwest. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've read a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 I do have a question for Jay though, because being a sergeant now, um, uh, before I came back out to the Pacific Northwest, I was a sergeant for nine years. And when I came out back out to the Pacific Northwest and, and went right back down to the officer level, to me, it was kind of a relief just being able to worry about myself and no one else. Do you ever have that yearning to, man, it'd be nice just to go a week with just worrying about myself and no one else when I come into work? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think it's the same regardless of the size of the agency, 
because once you have that supervisory title, you you accept the responsibility that comes with not just being responsible for yourself, but being responsible for your squad and for each individual member in your squad. And so, you know, a lot of that translates to phone calls after duty, emails after duty, text messages after duty. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of the things that just comes with the job and, and you have to be able to accept it. You have to be able to, um, be there for your squad as much as you possibly can, especially when you know that one of your team members is going through something that could possibly affect his performance on a day-to-day level. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to identify that, give them the ability to acknowledge, Hey, listen, I've got something going on at home. I've got something going on in my personal life that, you know, I can't handle right now, or I, I find it a little bit too difficult and being able to open yourself to that, allowing them to come in, giving them the opportunity and, and, and the space so that as a supervisor, you can hear them out and you can offer different options, whether it's, you know, services within the department, services outside of the department, um, being able to say, you know what, I'm going to talk to you as a friend, forget the supervisor, it's me to you. This is what I would do, or this is where where I would go, or whatever the case might be. Because at the end of the day, I mean, these guys are not just numbers. They're not just badge numbers running around. They're not just numbers on a piece of paper that, you know, did so much activity or whatever. These are individuals that you rely on and rely on you. Yeah. So you're finding it's not the just a bump in pay where you just get to bring all yeah. that money and do nothing extra. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And with, you know, with large agencies and I'm sure with smaller agencies, just due to call nature the way that it is and calls holding and calls for service and the amount of officers that we actually have on the street at any given time during any given watch, we answer calls daily. You know, it's like the dispatcher will dispatch you. Hey, can you uh, go cover this officer? Or you just chime up on the radio, hey, add me to that call. Right. You know, uh, or officers will call you from the scene, hey, Sarge, can you swing by? You know, yep. so you you definitely you definitely take on that responsibility as well. And uh, you know, and it's a good feeling when you have officers that are not even in your squad that will call you and go, Hey Sarge, I got a question. Hey, I ran into this situation. I know we're supposed to do this, however, you know, and you're supposed to be able to guide them through well, that's an officer discretion or that's a no, no brainer. You have to go to jail kind of deal. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, uh, that's important. And I'm glad to hear that you're talking about that because back when we all three first started, uh, I don't know, I can't say specifically for your, for your agencies, but it seems like back when we first started that, that supervisors were there to give direction you know, sergeants were there either to give direction and go, I want to take this guy to jail and uh, you need to sign off on it. And, and mm-hmm. the whole, the, the, the part of that where, Hey, Sarge, I got this thing. And, uh, and uh, this is what's happening. And what do you think? And the sergeant goes, yeah, take him to jail, arrest him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the reason mm-hmm. coppers do that is because, because if, um, if something goes South, then the sergeant mm-hmm. gets in trouble. Not me. Right. <laughs> right. I don't get yeah. so. The Absolutely. sergeant said it was okay. You know. Absolutely. And Absolutely. then the other part is where <clears throat> is where um, what I like what I'm hearing what you're saying, Jay, is that and, I, and you probably know a little bit more about this too, Donovan, is where the sergeants now are are not just there for admi- administrative 
functions. Mm-hmm. They're actually there. Hey, I'm having a bad time. I'm having a hard time. I need I need help with this. Or and the sergeants are more almost like mentor. I don't want to say. This is probably you. Can't, you you know where I'm going with this, but but it's a, it's a poor analogy, like a parental type of nurturing type of thing. I don't know how how to word it any differently. But that wasn't yeah. there when I was on patrol. No, it's right. almost like being a counselor sometimes because you're you're, you're taking care of counseling. mentoring and the physical health and mental well being of your officer. So there's a lot that's on supervisors now. So uh, my hats off to you for. Uh, uh, being a sergeant, I I'm quite happy now after stepping away, just worrying about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and Ken, going back to what you were saying, I mean, I remember when I came on and I was on field training and got off field training and I was on my own. Um, sector sergeants, you know, admin sergeants, station sergeants, you never got a hold of them; they got a hold of you. And when they got a hold of you, it was because hey, you screwed up on this deal. Or, hey, what happened on this call? Or, hey, why is this citizen calling me, telling me that you're writing, you know, 30 cars on the block, parking tickets kind of deal? But if it was a, what do we do in this situation? Or what charge do I go with? Blah, blah, blah. We always relied on the senior guy in the sector, mm-hmm. whether it be a senior corporal or a senior PO that was working that night. Because, you know, when you, when you call the sergeant, you knew that all hell had already broken loose and, you know, the milk's already spilled. And it's like, uh, so interesting thing happened, Sarge, kind of deal. <laughs> and so yeah. you, you would you would avoid all of that at all costs. And you would send a message to the senior guy, hey, can you meet me here? Or hey, swing by my call. You know, what what do I do? And as as time has gone by and now we're at the point that we are, I see that a lot of that responsibility is foregone. The senior guys don't want to make the call. The senior guys don't want to make a decision. The senior guys want to have everything blessed off on by a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And nowadays it's, you know, so-and-so to a supervisor. Is there a supervisor available? I need a supervisor in my call. I need a supervisor here. Hey, can I call the station? Hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do that? And I'm not sure if it's just our agency. I doubt it. I think it's more of a generational thing. I think it's more of a liability thing. I think it's, something that's probably being um, talked about more during the academy phase. Uh, You know, you're liable for this, the liability, 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 liability. And, you know, we get some of these these recruits that come out and it's like, well, they can fire me for that. I can go to jail for that. I can go, you know, yeah, they, they taught us that when I went through the academy, but that wasn't the purpose of me going through the academy. Me going through the academy was you know, enough to learn my penal code, my traffic code, everything else, city code, so that I could take the exam, pass, you know, the academy and make it out onto the streets. Because, you know, one of the things, and I'm sure that I've heard this from other agencies as well, everything you learn in the academy, forget about it. That was just enough to get you there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like everything in the academy has to be black and white because that's the way that the tests are structured. They want you to answer, you know, the way that it's written in the book. But when you get out here, that black and white turns to gray and you better be able to navigate that gray. And that comes with time and experience, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, I, I really like hearing that, that you're there for your, for your guys and that you, um, you have a relationship with them in the sense that they want to work. I think that Jay is one of those guys where you go, I want to be in J squad. I want to be in J squad, man. <laughs> because I specifically remember, 
I, I, and the last tour of duty I did, I had 17 years on the job uh, or last tour of duty I did in patrol. And I specifically remember you'd be, you'd, you'd be going on a call and say, and you're on, you're in route. You just got assigned. And then a sergeant jumps on the radio and he goes, show me in route. And, and the guys in the car go, oh, gosh, man. Yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs> exactly. I don't need a yeah, sergeant, absolutely. you know, looking over my shoulder while yeah. I do this call. And yeah. uh, it's just annoying. But um, I think the times have probably changed since then. But I'm really happy that you guys are focusing a lot more on, on, um, on mental health and all that. Uh, yeah, no- and, and I know that a lot of departments, and I'll give credit to my agency, they've gone – I would say above and beyond in order to create a wellness program for officers where now you've got specific time off that can be coded as a certain certain code when an officer is like, you know what, I need a mental health day. That mental health day is going to turn into a mental health week. Mm-hmm. I need some time away. I'm burned out. I've got this going on at home. I've got that going on at home. And now the department is starting to see that, hey, you know what? Outside of the eight hours or 10 hours that these guys and these girls are putting in day in and day out, they've got 24 hours of parental duties, husband duties, father, son duties, son to to elderly parent type duty. So none of that. We're not exempt from any of that. And, you know, one one little thing that I like to tell my guys and my, my squad is when you get here, you know, everybody, for lack of better words, everybody carries a cross, you know. My cross may be heavier than yours. Yours might be twice as big as mine. But when you get here, hang it up on the wall. It's going to be there waiting for you on the way out. Mm -hmm. Don't let that affect you when you're here, because when you're here, I want you to be dedicated to what's going on around you. I want you to be dedicated to your safety, the safety of the citizens, the safety of your partners, your patrol officers, because as we all know, you go to a loud music call and the next thing you know, it turns into an assist call. Mm-hmm. Because the comments that were on the call are completely different than what you actually encountered when you walked up there. So I need I need people to to be listening to the radio, stay off your phone, stay off the TikTok, stay off the Instagram, pay attention <laughs> to what's going on. You know, because the one thing that annoys me is you'll hear somebody call for cover or hey, start me a one man, start me a two man, and then somebody else jumps on the radio. Goes, Who is that? Where are they at? Dude, pay attention. Yeah. You know, it's like you've got your good time radio in the car, and that's fine. You can listen to your jazz. You can listen to your, to your top 40, whatever it is you're listening to, but pay attention to that big radio, you know? Yeah, one thing that uh, that comes to mind is that years ago, uh, I, and I think this has just changed recently, where cops were, cops were either on duty or they're off duty. There's no in-between. Mm-hmm. There's no, you, you can't, uh, <coughs> excuse me. You can't, uh, have emotional breakdowns. You can't be, you, there's no, you are either on or off and you couldn't say, Hey, I'm really, I'm kind of having a bad day. I'm having a, uh, I'm struggling with stuff. I, I'm not in a good mood or anything like that because, no. because you came to work and you, when you jumped in that patrol car, people don't care that, um, um, I just kind of yelled at that at that call because um, I was having a bad day. It's the, cops don't get to do that, and so right. it's good to have a buffer uh, where a sergeant can go, "Hey, do me a favor. I'm going to go to the station. Go handle this for me for a minute. Uh, go downtown. Do this for me. You know, just to kind of kind of get that." And I don't think before it was like that. 
Um, so right, absolutely yeah, not. No, absolutely not. Yeah, and and I and I and I, and and you guys, you guys are are, you know, you have uh, as much time in patrol as me. And I just, uh, I just remember that nobody really cared about how you were feeling. You can't go to your, you, you couldn't go to your sergeant and say, "Man, I'm really, I'm overloaded." You were on mm-hmm. patrol, or you weren't. Yeah, yeah. You know, there Absolutely. was. Absolutely, you know, take a sick day. You know, take a sick day, call in sick, and you know, and, and, and with burning sick time, you know, there's incentives that come with that. As as a department, as a as an organization, you don't burn any sick time, you earn another day off. You don't burn any sick time, you get to bank it, and it carries over, and so forth. And so, a lot of times, that was a factor. I mean, I remember being on training, and when I was on training, I. I literally came to work with walking pneumonia for like a week because yeah. you were not allowed to call in sick. No. You call in yeah. sick and you're going to, you're going to fail out of training. You're going to you're gonna be, you know, recycled, blah, 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 blah. So you came in to work and it was your trainer's responsibility at that point. Hey, you know what? We're going to take it easy today. We'll go answer a couple of calls and then we'll go back to the station, read up on your general orders, read up on your SOP, you know, read up on your traffic code, blah, 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 blah. And that's what you did. But I see that that has changed completely now in the matter of, you know, two decades where now we have recruits that are like, ah, you know what? I'm going to take my holiday today. I'm going to take a B day. I'm going to take, a, I'm going to call in sick for a week. And I'm like, oh my God, that was unheard of when I was in the academy. And now it's not just because it's there. It's always been there, but now it's a, you can't tell me I can't kind of deal. Right. right. And you're not going to recycle me and you're not going to, you know, hold me back and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, where is this coming from? Yeah. And you, you have to, uh, in police work, police work is like, is, is unlike a lot of jobs because you can't just, Hey, uh, I'm going to call in, uh, I'm going to call in today. I don't, I need a mental health day. I'm not going to come in, you know, which is basically, I don't feel like working. Uh, police work isn't like that because it's it's not like you call up and you go, hey, I'm going to uh, I'm going to call in because I'm I'm not feeling it today, and the sergeant mm-hmm. goes, hey, don't worry about it. We'll just have we'll just have Jay cover it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work like that in police work. Where you right. drop a police officer, you drop a car, you drop mm-hmm. service, you put the mm-hmm. burden on your on your squad mates in your sector, yep. your your um, <clears throat> your area. <clears throat> excuse me in your area that they now have to pick up the slack because sure. well, mm-hmm. yeah. And you're right. And Donovan, I think you would say the same thing. I don't remember a time when, mm-hmm. when uh, I, I can't ever remember a time when a copper, someone goes, Hey, where's, where's Ken? Uh, Ken, Ken's taking a mental health day because people would go <laughs> nuts. They would go right, crazy. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think and part of it for that, some of us older guys is it's ingrained to us that, you know, when yeah. you started, you couldn't take that. Like now, if I ever have to call in sick, I have this immense amount of guilt that, oh, someone's got to cover for me now. And so, and I think that's ingrained to a lot of us older officers, but the younger Absolutely. ones, yeah, no, it's just, hey, I'm out sick and deal with it, which is, yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. Yeah. And then there was a stigma that came with your, your squad, your team members, your watch, you yeah. know, yeah. fellow officers at the station. Oh, so-and-so is going through a divorce. Oh, so-and-so, you know, got busted. Oh, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you didn't want to be that guy that everybody was talking about, you know, after detail or, you know, out in the parking lot or on the call because you drive up and it's like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and clear and leave kind of deal. You know, there was a stigma that came in. You you were, you're eight foot tall and you're bulletproof all the way around. Yeah. Right? You know? And, and it's, and 
you're right in the in that uh, we are teammates. We're a team. And when one person, when you get someone that drops a ball or is lazy or something like that on your squad, you're like the whole rest of the team is like, oh, dude, we, you know, he's not uh, he or she is not fit in the mold for what we need for this team. We need to work together. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the whole thing where, where I remember all the times that people would, you know, when you were saying, man, I came to work with walking pneumonia. You know, mm-hmm. and and I I remember that stuff because people come in with injuries, they're limping, but you yeah. know, it, it and, and it was a badge of honor. You know, it's like, dude, are you kidding me? I was here, I was dying, man, and I yeah. still answered that call. I was still going to jail, <laughs> blah blah blah. You know, I mean, I had partners that were coming in to work with a dislocated shoulder or a broken <laughs> thumb or something, right. and they didn't want to report it because a they're going to take me off the street. I'm going to have to work the desk. So I'm going to have to do something menial around the station or burn sick time. Or I can't work my off duty because I'm injured now, you know. So it was one of those things where it's like you knew you, you if he was your partner, you knew what was going on. You helped him along with it, and you just got him over it. Yeah, I remember yeah. I, in the early '80s, probably at '83 or something like that. I got in a motorcycle accident on the on the freeway on the way to work, and I took a big chunk of my knee came out, and and it was really bad. <laughs> And I mean, it was such a big hole in my knee. I'm not trying to get gross, but it was such a big hole in my knee that uh, they couldn't stitch it. They just had to, you know, put some gauze around it and stuff like that. So I went home and I was at home for maybe, I don't know, maybe a week or something like that. I'm going, oh man, I gotta work, gotta work patrol. I can't be doing this. So I I went back to work and I and I was working the front desk and I was kind of limping along. And then finally I, I went to the doctor. It was a very short time, a very short time. And I told the doctor, yeah, doc. Hey, Doc, I'm good. I'm good to go. And then he goes, okay, okay, if you say so. And they put me back on patrol. And I remember working one that one day, the first day I went back, I went back to the station. I was I was um, off duty, you know, did my patrol thing. And I was taking my uniform off, and my my bandage gauze thing had all bled through <laughs> the knee. <laughs> yes, you cannot keep me out of patrol, man. And... Uh, I don't know. So, so when we talk about like people, I mean, you guys, you guys, come on. When people go, oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, I got to, I got to work and stuff like that. I just hope I would, and I've, I've heard it. I've heard it that it happens in police, but I would hope that it would not bleed into the whole Starbucks mentality. I had to work 40 hours and then it was only four of us. Uh, we had to serve coffee. And- <laughs> It's coming. It's coming, Ken. You know yeah. it's coming. It cannot yeah. I think be. At a certain point, it's here. You know, it just hasn't. It hasn't really reared its head yet, but it's here. You see the grumblings. You hear it. You live it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, you guys, I'm just saying, you do your thing. You be you. But uh, Donovan Jay and Minerva and I, we're not. We're we're not with you. If you if you wimp out in police work, if you can't hang with just showing up to work or whatever, I do not, do not come with me into a gunfight and one of us gets shot and you wimp out. Oh, this bullet hurts. John Donovan, yeah. Donovan got shot, got himself shot <laughs> in the, in yeah, the abdomen. crying. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts so bad. 
No, Donovan, <laughs> Donovan did not wimp out. Donovan went back to work and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I went back to work the next day. I had my phone sending emails. My wife was laughing at me. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know what I was sending. I had, I was on so many painkillers, but I was sending work emails. <laughs> so, I mean, we joke about it, Jay, we joke about it, but come on, I know, I you know, know. You, police, police officers have to be a different breed. They cannot oh, yeah. be wimping out. And the, the whole thing that I always bring up is if you are in the mentality, if you're the mentality of getting out of the academy, and, and we talk, we've talked about soft academies versus hard stress academies and all this, and if you don't have it in your mind already and you get shot, you cannot fold. You cannot fold. So you've mm-hmm. got to have that mentality where going to work, showing up, if you're hurt, Muscle. Through, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. Don't. Somebody goes through. I broke my leg, and you. You made me disabled forever. <laughs> I still ran up ten flights. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ken told me to. Um, yeah, I just. Uh, I'm glad we got into this conversation because I have. I talk to coppers all the time on Instagram. They, they'll. They'll send me stuff, and I'm hearing things like cops. You know, new cops. New cops are wimping out, man, and I and mm-hmm. I just struggle with that. I don't know, so I don't want our listeners to to wimp out, man. That's not that's not cool. That is not yeah. cool. I mean, I remember years into my career, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven years into it. All of a sudden, you know, we had Lieutenant Grossman that was putting out these books and doing these conferences and and talks and stuff, and the warrior mindset and this and that, and that was something that was ingrained into us. Like you fight through it. I mean, I remember going through, you know, simulated training in the academy, outside of the academy, some of the task forces and groups that I've done, you know, we would do quarterly training with TAC and stuff where they would hit you with those sim rounds because they wanted to reinforce that, hey, listen, we're telling you not to do this because this is going to happen. Yeah. You know, you go in there, do it the way that we're telling you. This is this is tried and true. I'm not criticizing you. I'm I'm trying to save your life here yep, yep. and you fight through it. You fight through it. Okay. So you took a round, you're down, you're, you still got your extremities going. You still got your mind about you, you know, get to some cover, you know, direct the officers where you need them. The ones that are coming for you, you know, give a good description, stay, stay in the fight, stay in the game. Yeah. And you're right. Nowadays it's like, Oh, I sprained my ankle. Oh, you know, I fell down. Oh, this <laughs> is like, Get up. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on. And and you have to, as a supervisor, as a tenured officer, even you have to kind of remind yourself that this isn't 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, where, you know, we were jumping fences. We were pushing each other across. We were doing whatever it took, you know, to get there. Now it's like, oh, I can't see my partner. I got to stop my foot chase. You know, I, I can't pursue any further. You know, it, it's it's all kinds. It's all ingrained into into officers nowadays it seems like liability 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 don't do this because you're going to get in trouble don't do this because you know, you're going to get fired don't do this because they're going to sue you blah 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 and and that affects your your train of thought that affects your game plan that affects your your battle plan let's just say it that way yeah yeah i've seen the videos where coppers you there and then we've talked about this before where where you see the videos and the coppers are are in are they're fighting forever, they're like they're, it's it's almost like a slap fight where they just keep hitting each other and hitting each other, but the and the cops go down you and and they're not doing anything and and the the common 
the common thing that I hear is that cops don't want to do anything because of liability. They're afraid they're going to get in trouble. They're all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And that's pretty sad. It's going to look bad on TV. That's going to look really bad. Yeah. That's going to look really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the mentality that we're at nowadays. That's, that's a shame that that's going on. Um, and I, and I can't speak to that. I mean, the last time I was on patrol was 1997. So things have changed dramatically, obviously <clears throat> since then, but I can't, so I can't be, um, I can't be real critical of it. Although in some regards I do, I do get critical, but in other regards, I'm like, I don't know what these guys are going through. I don't know mm-hmm. what, what it's like out there now. Um, yeah. But I, I still know that re- whether it's 1980 or it's 2022 cops are still getting shot and that variable does not change. And, and more and more now it seems. Yeah. You know, it is. Couple years. Yeah. I'm in a, and anybody that follows me on Instagram knows that I'll, I post stuff all day long, all day long. And I'm, I'm, uh, and I, even me having been around for all these years am completely shocked in 2022 at the violence, the ongoing violence in in, against police officers is just so bad. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is, Jay. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if it's just, our society as a whole right now. I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's politics, what it is, but the level of these criminals being emboldened to do what they do to the extreme that they do it is just amazing. I mean, I remember, I remember being a patrol officer, you know, and, and pulling over a car and you got somebody out because they had a warrant and they knew not to go bad on you. They knew. Yeah. And it's like, and you told them up front. You told them up front. But nowadays, you know, you're you're afraid to get somebody out of the car. You're afraid to do a traffic stop, you know, much less at night. You're afraid to put hands on people because you just never know. And then the level of violence, like we were saying, that has um that has developed over the last few years. We're not seeing just one officer being assaulted. We're seeing two, three, four officers as they're walking up to a call you know, being sniped from a block away Mm. or the gunman waiting for them at the door and, you know, taking two or three of them before, you know, he's taken out. And that's just something that we didn't see, you know, years and years ago. Yeah. And that's scary. That's just very, very scary nowadays. Um, You know, we're going to take a quick break. Then I want to find out how you became a police officer and your background your what it was like back in the day compared to today so we'll be right back policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator ken ryball who spent 16 years conducting over 1400 lapd backgrounds for more information go to policebackground.net all right we're back hey uh Jay, to segue into this next section, one of the big deals for us is is the police academies back in the day versus today. And and Donovan knows I love talking about this. I love talking about academies because he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because and and the you know about um, your academies out where you're at, Jay and Donovan works at the academy and i think things have changed a little bit since we all went through the academy there's a different mindset but uh let's talk about how you know the big question is 
is is uh did you always want to be a cop when did you decide you want to be a cop probably when i was six months old um nice (laughs) nice (laughs) i've always wanted to be a cop always 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 from from being a little kid and the interesting story with me is that i did not know that my mother's father my grandfather was a cop. He was like a sheriff in Mexico and he was killed in the line of duty when she was about eight or nine years old. Mm. So I knew that he was, when I was old enough to understand things, I would see the big portrait of him at my aunt's house whenever we'd go visit and what the history was until I got of age that my mom was like, your grandfather was this and this happened and he was killed and he was killed with, you know, three or four other officers that night but he's the one that languished the longest. He lasted almost a month before he passed. And so that kind of even solidified it even more. And growing up with my cousins at who were all around the same age as me, we were all like, yeah, we're all going to be cops. We're all going to be cops. We're going to go get those guys that killed grandpa, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, just being kids. And one thing led to another, you know, you go, you go through high school, you go through college and, you know, relationships and careers and this and that. And so I kind of shied away from that for a while. And I was in the financial business for about 10 or 12 years. And one day I got to my office and I looked around and I said, I just can't do this anymore. I can't see myself being here for the next 25, 30 years. And, you know, great institution that I was working with, great benefits, great pay, you know, banker's hours, Monday through Friday, every holiday off, going on the nice lunches with the bosses and everything else. And at that point in time, I decided, you know what, it's either now or never. And that's when I applied with the two different agencies and told myself first on the calls, that's where I'm going. And, and so you, you always had a, a goal to be a police officer. Did you ever go in the military? You know, I was, I was this close to joining the Corps right out of high school and growing up in a Hispanic, very Catholic family, uh, very hardworking parents. I went to a premier college prep school in the city I grew up in, and it was a very expensive school and my parents could not afford that. Mm -hmm. So I went on a two year scholarship and the last two years, my parents were responsible for. So when I was fishing around with the idea, I want to go to the core. I want to go to the core. My mom and my dad were like, we didn't just spend all this money (laughs) to get you through this high school. So you can go to the government and you can go to war and you can do this. And I'm like, it's 1989. There's no wars going on. It's like, you know, we haven't had a war since Vietnam, you know? And so I was trying to sell them on that angle. And they were like, we're not going to let you go. We're not going to do it. We're not going to sign off on it. Fine. I'll just run away from home. Blah, 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 blah. It was that kind of deal. So, you know, it, it never, it never happened to me. And to be honest with you, that's probably one of my biggest regrets that I didn't go into the core, that I didn't go into the military, but you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, Everybody, all the men and women that that have served this country, that are continually serving this country and are looking forward to going into any branch of the military service, because I think that is probably the most significant way of showing your duty, your service, your selflessness and and, and duty to your country and to your peers and, and everybody around you is, is to go into the military. Yeah, I think there was there was uh, <clears throat> there's maybe one guy that I knew out of from my high school years that went into, into the army. Otherwise I don't think I knew anybody that went into the military after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so you, so when you first applied, you said you had put several applications out and this was before, this was before everything was all electronical and all that kind of stuff. Were you still doing the paper 
applications? Yes, absolutely. That's, absolutely. That's so Donovan. <laughs> what Donovan? Yeah. Would <laughs> I remember those. Those yeah. were. Yeah. You know what's really weird? I for some reason I don't know why it was, but I my uh, my California Highway Patrol application I still have it from like oh, wow. seventy eight seventy nine. Yeah, and wow. uh, <laughs> I know, and everything was handwritten. Every time you got a PHS, you had to handwrite the PHS. Uh-huh. And I don't know if there was if you could use whiteout or I don't, I just yeah. don't think back in the day you could turn in a crappy PHS. No, I just don't absolutely. Think so. no. But one Absolutely. thing I, I do, one thing I do remember from my PHS is my handwriting was so nice when I was like twenty. <laughs> right. I yeah. don't. I write like a doctor now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know what happened there, um, yeah. but uh, so you were handwriting all your applications, and I think it's kind of kind of interesting, Donovan. As a background investigator, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm thinking, you know how when you, when you get a background. And there's like the PHS gets in there and you've got reams and reams of paper of applications that have 30 applications. I think back back in the day when you had to handwrite every single application, I don't think that happened. I don't think you yeah, I hand wrote 30 applications. Yeah, no. No, no, they were more selective. Yeah, much yeah. more selective. And absolutely. So you went through, I mean, all the testing was basically the same. Um, the written, the oral, and all that kind of stuff. Do you do you sense that um that the application process was much different in your area than it is today? I think that it was like Donovan said, I think it was more selective at the time, very much more selective. I mean, I remember, you know, if you knew somebody that was on the department, the first thing they told you is if you got to the stage where you're going to get interviewed or you're going to do a initial face to face with a lieutenant or somebody from recruiting or a deputy chief, dude, you better show up in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. You better shave, you know, watch how you sit. Don't slouch. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Everything I could watch how you walk. Everything, everything was appearances. Everything was, you know, I, why should I select this guy over this other guy? Right. You know, and you hate to think that way, but it was doggy dog back then. You know, you, you were actually competing against other candidates. And I think nowadays it's more like, oh my God, he's got a pulse, two legs and, and, and he knows what he's saying. Come on, let's go. You know? Yep. Yeah, the departments used to be in control, and now the candidates are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The big Absolutely. joke, and I, I there was no. Are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Are you on TikTok? You know what? What have you posted lately, or anything? There was none of that. No, no. You know, it was all your character. It was your character. It was what is your neighbor going to say about you? What is your you know high school teacher going to say about you? What is your best friend going to say about you? Yeah, and it was uh, the recruitment units were not um, so like hand holding as they are now, <clears throat> and and uh, it seems like like you're 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 really the some of the recruitment units are really working to like massage the candidates into the job as opposed mm-hmm. to the candidates um, being more grown up. And this is no slam against any of our listeners. I know that the majority of people that I talk to that listen to the, I've never talked to a wimp candidate who listens to the podcast. And I think the ones that listen to this podcast, (coughs) excuse me, are the ones that really, really want to be cops and they do everything they, they can. That's why they listen to the podcast. 
So kudos to you guys. Um, but um, the the testing process has changed. You guys are right. Over the years, it has changed to a, um, you know, get yourself together, be ready to apply, or don't even walk in the door to, uh, we'll help you. We'll help you. Oh, you've, you're, you're not ready. We'll help you. We'll help you. Mm-hmm. And all this kind right. of thing. And it makes a difference. And when you, you went, um, you're talking about when you first applied Jay and that you went into that big room or auditorium or it was, and there were so many, um, <clears throat> there were so many other applicants and it was a competition for the best ones mm-hmm. to rise to the top. And Donovan, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel like it's, it's, I don't feel like the application process is now who's the best. I think it's, it's like some, one of you guys were saying, you know, you, if you can fog up a mirror, you're, you're good to <laughs> yeah. go. We want yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know how you feel about that, Donovan, if it's, it, it is getting that way, though. I mean, I, like we all know, back in the day when we applied, it was like 500 people for one position, mm-hmm. and now it's 100% flipped. So um, I wouldn't say that you just have to have a pulse or you're breathing, but um, it, it, you're uh, a lot of these candidates aren't the same candidates that we were getting way back in the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with Donovan on that. And, and Ken, you've seen this because you deal with this on a daily when you talk to to applicants that are looking for your advice and, and, you know, what should I do? What should I not do? And not to try to be disparaging or anything when I said the, you know, two, two legs and a heartbeat or whatever, but <laughs> it's gotten to the point where like, we like Don said, you know, I remember competing against a thousand, 2000 other applicants just to get an invitation to go on to the next step. And then, you know, you busting your butt to try to have the best runtime to have the best time on that, you know, physical agility course, the best time on whatever it was that they were testing. How many push-ups can I do? How many sit-ups can I do? You know, all this stuff. And nowadays it's that not that it's gone by the wayside, but I don't think that that's a factor as much as it was before. No. And, yeah. and I understand the reasoning why, I mean, back then when we were applying, you knew that, man, if you, if the guy sitting next to you, if his dad, his uncle, his brother, his cousin, his neighbor was already a cop on the force, he's already got you beat. Yep. He's got you beat because you already know somebody. He knows somebody. He's already talked to somebody. This is probably not the first time they're going to hear from you. And so you were competing against that. Right. And nowadays, I don't think that that, that makes a difference anymore. I, first of all, I don't think that there's that many people that go around nowadays going, oh, yeah, my, my cousin's a cop. My brother's a cop. Yeah. Neighbors are right. cop. You know, it's it's not one of those things where before it was like, oh yeah, my uncle, man, he's a cop. Yeah. And and yeah. nowadays that's not it's not it doesn't carry the same weight that it did at one point. No. And um you know, uh there was I was talking to a a uh person involved with the hiring for a large agency recently, but I think it was last week, and they were talking about um, you know, in California, you have to to pass the to pass the PFQ for the academy. I think it's it used to be seventy percent. I, I think it might still be seventy percent to pass the PFQ. And before you had to have a PFQ uh, to get into the academy of seventy percent. Before you could get in, you had to have seventy percent. And then they went down to fifty. And then they went down to forty. Last week, I was talking to someone, and they said they've done away completely with the PFQ score to get into the academy. 
Wow. And I wow. found this shocking, shocking that they've gotten to the point where, I mean, I don't know. It seems like you should have to qualify to get, you have to pass the test to get into the academy. That's all part of it. And um, and that there, no no disrespect to recruitment, but I think that recruitment nowadays has to really roll with the punches because they can't get good a lot of good candidates. And I, what I mean by that, I don't mean good candidates in in general, but they just can't get people to apply. Yeah, right. And they're a different candidate because it's not the ones who've always wanted to be police officers. You're finding more and more now saying, oh, well, I, I can't find a job here. So this sounds like it's good pay. I'm going to put in to be a police officer. You know, yeah. so they haven't had that mindset that they've always wanted to be a police officer or at least a couple of years saying, I mean, I've had people come in where it's been three months that all of a sudden they just decided they're going to put in to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's that's, un- that's unfortunate, but. I mean, that's the state of recruitment nowadays. When you went through the academy way back when, what was that like, Jay? So, first of all, getting getting to the academy was was a process. Oh, yeah. Getting there, you know, your first day, your first day, you know, you're you're dressed in your your business attire, you know, your slacks, your dress shoes, your coat, your shirt, your tie. And right then and there. You know, everybody drop, give me 50 push-ups, mm-hmm. give me 60 sit-ups, let's go run a mile. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> but you did it. You didn't question it, you know, and a lot of guys were struggling. I mean, this was, they were wearing their only pair of dress shoes. They were wearing their only suit, their only dress shirt. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It didn't matter because at that point in time, you knew that you had to do whatever it took to get through the academy, get, to get through the next eight months. You know, you had to do whatever it took and you got there on time. You weren't late. You, you, when you were in the academy and you had in-service guys in the academy with you taking other classes, all the recruits, first of all, you were in uniform. You were, you know, wearing your, your dickies or your khakis or whatever it was at the time. And you all looked the same. You knew who was a recruit and you knew who was an in-service guy, mm-hmm. you know, and when you walked by an in-service guy, regardless of rank, cause you didn't know they were just in a jeans and t-shirt jeans and a polo, sir. Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, no, ma'am. Good ma'am. You know, it, it was, it was one of those things. And as recruits, you always walked on one side of the hallway, mm-hmm. you know, you gave the rest of the hallway up to everybody else. And don't you dare go over into this break room and don't go into that, you know, restroom and don't do this and don't do that. And it was just very, very structured and don't mess up because if I have to remind you again, then there's obviously a problem. You can't follow direction. You can't follow orders. So it was very strict. Um, We weren't allowed to bring in any food or drink into the classroom. You know, we didn't have the convenience of laptops back then. So have your notebook and your pencil out and be ready to go and pay attention and, you know, have your study materials and have everything with you. And nowadays it's just different. I mean, I have not taught at an academy. Um, I've seen, I've heard some of the stuff that goes on, but it's like, that would have never been allowed when I was <laughs> there, you know, ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Donovan, tell me about this. I saw a, uh, um, a photo on Instagram, the first day of the academy, they were taking, uh, they're taking selfies in in the classroom. Is that is that the thing? Yes. 
What? It, it, it must be. Um, <laughs> I mean, our first day, you would never get away with it because we do require the recruits to keep their uh, their cell phones in their duty bags that are on the shelf in the classroom. Um, so you wouldn't really see that unless they were on a break or something. But, um, I, you know, I, I was in the Wisconsin Academy. I mean, that's where I went through. And those are run by community colleges. Oh, and and it was a community college. I mean, there was no military anything. It was an old Milwaukee PD guy that came up to teach it, and he would try to instill some of the, you know, values from Milwaukee Police Department and try to make it militaristic. But we're like, yeah, we're there's like college credit for us. <laughs> oh, well, I just I don't know in 2022. Uh, the uh, taking selfies in the academy, I, I just that's just like not take, that's like not taking it seriously to me, um, yeah. right? So, okay, well, but again, it's a different recruit, Ken. You got to remember yeah. that it's a different recruit. Different, what does yeah, that mean? It's a different though? recruit, it's a different way of you know. Back then in our day, we would call our friend back home, dude. It was my first day at the academy, or dude, it's like you know, I finished my first week, blah 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 blah, or we went to the range for the first time. But now everything has to be documented. On yep. social media, <laughs> yep. yeah, for your twenty-seven followers, and so, yep. <laughs> and, and we had the fight to get to those spots. We actually had the fight mm-hmm. to get to those spots to be in the academy. There was a lot of a, a lot of pride being in there. Now it's just, oh, yep, I mean, it's just another part of training, kind of thing, you know. Um, so I don't think that that pride of being in the academy is there anymore. Um, where it was an accomplishment to to make it through the hiring process and get to the academy finally, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and now there's so many academies where you can, you know, basically sponsor yourself through the academy. You don't have to have an agency put you through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, man. I, I, <laughs> the the um, you know, in the whole time, and I don't know how you guys how you guys would, if you agree with this or not, but the whole time that I was, you know, I used to train, I used to train uh, uh, academy recruits, you know, first year coppers and all that. And, and all through the years I'd work with different partners as the years went on, on in patrol. And I don't ever remember going, Oh man, this new generation, they're driving me crazy. I don't remember doing that in patrol. Is that something that, that you guys have seen change over the years where they, you just go, geez, what the, he-? is it, is it like that? Has it, has the generation changed so much that cops in, in the time that you've been on have not just been cops from year to year to year? Has it changed? I think it has Donovan. I'm sure you've seen it as well. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, one example, when, when I was on field training, you had, you had your, your trainer that was assigned to you for the first, you know, six, seven, eight weeks. You knew who your next trainer was going to be. And the trainers talked amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. This kid's really sharp or this guy's going to need some help with geography. This kid's just not getting it, blah, 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 whatever the, whatever the case might be. But I remember, you know, sitting with a trainer who would fill in because my trainer had called in sick or was on a vacation day or whatever the case might be. And you had a fill in trainer. And it was you know, when you got in the car with that individual, However, he or she wants you to do it, you do it. You're not going to say, well, so-and-so wants me to do it this way. Well, when I'm with so-and-so, we do it this way. No, we, there was no pushback whatsoever. You just did it. Right. And I remember back back when I was training, MAPSCOs were, you, you better know how to use a MAPSCO. 
You better know where the grid is. You better know where the page is. You better know what what's the name of this freeway. What's an alternate route? Nowadays, everybody just pops up their phone and you know Google Maps it or right. you know whatever, and, and it's like okay, I'm just gonna go this way. No, 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 no. It's like you know <laughs> what block number are we in? Because it's like if you know the block number, regardless of what street you're on, you're gonna know that you're north of this freeway. You're gonna know you're north of the mall. You're you're gonna be south of the hospital. What are your landmarks? Where are your fire stations? What's this? What's that? And and I see that with not just kids that didn't grow up in the city that we're in, but even kids that grew up in the city that we're in have no idea. Mm. Right. No idea. Because A, I don't drive that much. I Uber. I always ride with a with a friend, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, we can't Uber to this assist. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> we're not gonna force the guy in the Prius to go over 55 miles an hour. I, I, it's just not gonna happen, you know. Oh man. That's uh that's difficult for me to hear. <laughs> but it's all generational, mm-hmm. right? It's all generational. Um yeah. so so cops have to be a little bit a little bit more of survivalists. You know, you just can't rely on electronics. I mean, if the electronic grid went down, I don't, what would happen? What would happen? You didn't have you didn't have um you didn't have Google Maps or or you didn't you didn't you couldn't look up you didn't a have code. Google, period. You know? yeah. yeah. You didn't have anything to go by. I mean, if the city went down in electronics, what would we do? Oh my Damn. gosh, we we're sorry, we cannot do police work right now. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like FTOs in in my agency who actually require the recruits to just basically they don't power on the computer for a shift or two mm-hmm. and say, hey, look, you know, back in the day, we had to use pen and paper and a map to figure this out. Yep. Um, good luck. Here we go. We're going for a ride. This is what we're doing yep. for the next couple of days. Absolutely. Um, so they do have it because it is funny nowadays when if a computer goes down in a patrol vehicle, that vehicle's out of service. No one can touch it because no yeah. one wants to do because they don't have a computer in the car. Yeah. Um, where I would, I'd take that car in a heartbeat because it has less miles on it because no one's driving it. So I can yeah. handle things with pen and paper and a map. Yeah, um, you know. So we do. I, I, at our agency, we we try to instill that into them that hey, you know, police work was done without a computer and it still can be done without a computer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every now and then we have. You know, we'll have a situation where they got they got to take the main system down and it's going to be down for two or three hours of maintenance mm-hmm. or something. Usually the IT department's really good about, hey, between midnight and 3 a.m. on this Sunday night or this Tuesday night, we're going to be down. So everybody knows don't pull a car over. Don't run anyone. <laughs> don't check anyone. You know, head to your call, handle it as best you can. Take your whoop book out, dust the cover, the dust off of it. Write some notes, and when this comes back up, do your do your report, whatever it takes. Right. But if you're one of the unlucky ones that has to go to jail, and you have to handwrite your report, I mean, I've heard the nightmares that come with that. They will sit in jail, and they will wait for four hours until the system comes back on. Oh, and they're like, "Well, you know, I'm just not going to handwrite this thing." <laughs> and what? It, and it's 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 shocking that you know we still have to handwrite report. Who who's handwriting arrest reports? In 2022, what you is know? that? What is that with uh, <laughs> yep. with spell check and everything? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, Where does you, the period go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting when I talked uh, somebody on Instagram. I think they called me. They said <laughs> it was somebody from the East Coast, maybe from from New York or something like that. And I was, I was going like, ah, you know, these guys, these coppers, man, blah, blah, blah. And this, is this the way they're doing it now? Something to that effect. And they go, well, blah, 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 blah. Old man. 
And I'm like, oh, old man. Uh, this this thing where I'm I'm like considered an old man, but I'm proud of that. I'm proud. And I'm sure you guys are very proud of where you came from. And it's not, I don't think police work evolves in that sense that uh, it, it still requires some wherewithal and some common sense. And you can't be like this. Uh, can you get off your phone so we can go handle this homicide? Is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. you right. know, mm-hmm. I don't think it evolves to that point. And I enjoy being an old man back when we didn't have computers and we did police work because we caught murderers and robbers and stolen cars because of the sixth sense that we learned from experience. And you could go, that's a bad guy. That's a bad guy in that car. And it comes back, that car's stolen. I'm in pursuit, you know, because you generated Uh that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could Absolutely. be, you were talking, uh, it reminded me of something, uh, Jay, you were talking earlier in that me and my partners, we could be just jaw jacking in the car, blah, blah, blah. And calls could be going, you know, we could hear radio chatter and all of a sudden they go seven, eight, 29. And we go, Oh, that's my car. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you could multitask like that. Yeah. Um, so Absolutely. I'm very proud to be a, an old man in that sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, let's talk about FTO for a minute. <clears throat> and you, the cool thing, the cool thing is that Jay, you you went through an FTO that was probably pretty brutal by today's standards. And and Donovan, I would assume you did too. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then you, uh, Jay, you see it. In 2022, has the FTO programs have they changed uh, in the sense that they're they're um, what what's the word I'm looking for? The, I guess the word I'm looking for are, are they softer now? Uh, <laughs> so I would say yeah, without using softer, but using softer, yeah. <laughs> and I think I think a lot of it is not intentional on the part of the trainer himself or herself. I think it's just departmental wide. And I'm not just saying in my department, but agency wide, you know, industry wide. Right. Uh, it has gotten to the point where I just need you to get them to the next level, push them enough to get them to the next level. We yep. we need to clear them from this point to that point, because when FTOs come to me and go, this kid can't, figure out North from South, East from West. He can't figure out, you know, this and that. Okay. Well, you know what? Take a couple of days for remedial and, you know, do it like we did in the old days, write down, take a, take a a snapshot from Google maps or your old map scope and, you know, piece it together and give them a map of the division and, you know, plot out the main intersections, plot out the main avenues and list the block number down so that that way, if they're at the 17,000 block, they know that they're right down the street from the station. If they're at the 19,000 block, they know they're already going to be going into the next suburb or whatever the case might be. You use the freeway. Hey, this is our demarcation line from one division to the other. You know, anything east of here belongs to so-and-so. Anything west of there belongs to so-and-so. If it's a wreck on the southbound side, it's ours. If it's on the northbound side, it's theirs. You know, have them figure that out because it was, that's the way that they did it with me. And, and I think, with a lot of trainers nowadays compared to when we went through training, there was a sense of pride in the trainer to know that, Hey, my rookie, 
he was my rookie. When they got nominated for rookie of the year, when they got nominated for officer of the month, that's my rookie. And not not just that, but coming into the job, when you got your trainer assignments, you knew as a brand new recruit, oh hell, I got I got so and so. Because you've already heard either the war stories or the nightmares, you know, that came with that name. Yep. And nowadays it doesn't matter. There's no sense of, eh, you know, he, I, they don't look at you as he's my partner for the next eight weeks. He's not just my trainer, but he's my partner, you know? And, and one thing I instill to all the rookies, regardless of when, when I've been through the, through, through this is you take, you take the best from each one and then you make your own way. Yeah. You develop your own way of doing things. I love the way my trainer would do this when we would, you know, inventory a vehicle. I love the way my trainer would do this when we went to this type of call because he always knew what to ask. Uh, and, you know, but when you're with that one individual trainer for those six, seven, eight weeks, however he or she wants you to do it, do it. Right. And just just make notes, you know, take little notes, put it in your pocket. Hey, I love the way that we do it when we're here. This other trainer, eh, not so much, but it's cool. You know, I, I'll do it the way he wants me to do it or whatever the case is. But now even trainers, and I hear this from them directly, recruits are so critical of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like the way he's talking to me. I don't like the way he snapped at me. He yelled at me, you know, take me back to the station. I'm going to go talk to the sergeant. Take me back to the station. I'm going to go talk to the lieutenant. I'm going to file a complaint against you. What? And so I can see why trainers don't want to take ownership. What is that about? Right. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't last today as a trainer because as a field training officer, because I mean, when I did it, um, if I had a, a recruit that was struggling, I would carry the one ads with me and hand them <laughs> and say, Hey, you got two choices. You figure this out or find something in this one ad that's going to work for you because it's not working here. Now, now I see that uh, recruits going through, they're on improvement plans, like three, four weeks, which, you know, back in the day, we, it would be one week. If you weren't getting it, we got to cut ties. Yeah. You were done. Man. And and I see it from like, Don, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. A lot of agencies, a lot of departments now is the mentality is we've invested so much time and money into you yep. that we are going to take this round peg and we're going to hammer it into the square hole until it fits. Yep. Jeez. And you and I both know that that is not a way to do it. It's never going to fit. It's never going to, it's never going to go in easily and you're going to have nothing but problems with it. So, you know, we're, we're creating a, an environment for ourselves where we're going to be dealing with the ramifications of this in the next year or two, when this officer gets in trouble, when this officer does this, when this officer does that, but you know what? We'll handle it then. Right now, we just need to keep him in the program. We need to keep our graduation, our attrition down and so forth. Because let's face it, even with larger agencies like myself, we get them through training. We get them through the academy. We get them commissioned. We get them through field training. They're out on their own. And within two, three, four, five months, they're gone. Another agency will pick them up mm-hmm. You know, for a lot more money. Right. They don't have to go through another academy. And the other agency looks at it and goes, oh, you're coming from them. Great. You know, you've probably done more than I have in my career in the last six months being in that city. Right. And that's really not the case anymore. It used to be at one point in time where, you know, you that saying I was with this department for the last year or two carried a lot of weight. 
mm-hmm. like, holy crap, you, you know, you're, you're coming from a busy city, you know, out here, are the most, we most action we get is, you know, that three car pile up with an 18 wheeler at two o'clock in the morning to tie up the interstate. Yep. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering in, in, in listening to you guys where, you the trainers are like oh this 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 rookie this probationer is coming to me and they've got a reputation for complaining about their tos or you know they've filed this complaint or something like that no one wants to work with them and Mm -hmm. uh they just want to get them out of the car you know gosh just get you know fine whatever i just find that so troubling that that is a case because because police officers work together as a team. And if you've got mm-hmm. someone who's just com- complaining all the time and, and it just makes it difficult. But I mean, if there's a, if there's a legitimate complaint and you guys know this, if there's a legitimate complaint where something's happening, but, but when you complain about everything to where your training officer doesn't even want to teach you. And another thing in the police cars, you're, you're in a police car for eight, 10, 12 hours with your partners and you need to get along with them. I'm not saying mm-hmm, to get, yeah. you know, get a, go along to get along. I'm saying that you need to have camaraderie and, and these are mm-hmm. your, these are your partners. And then the other thing is, is we're all in the cars together because we're going to save each other's lives. We're going to mm-hmm. save that. We're going to go into shootings. I got your back. You got my back, man. And that's closer than that's closer than brothers. Right. Um, but when mm-hmm. you, when you start making it an irritating situation and nobody wants to work with you and, and it just makes it difficult because you got to sit in a car side by side with this person for hours. Right. And right. Um, yeah, I have heard that before where these, where you get these, these rookies that come out and they're like, they just get the rookies get bad reputations. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. And it's and it's not one that, you know, that the trainer is putting out there for you. It's you. You know, other officers that show up on calls where you're at see it right away. And they're like, What in the hell? Like, did that guy just really say that? You know? And it's like back in the day, your your trainer, if you didn't grab that microphone before your trainer and you took that, you know. 12 car pile up or that shooting call or that stabbing call or that criminal assault call, he was going to grab it and you were going to take it mm-hmm. and you were going to go to jail and you were going to be stuck with doing the offense report, doing the arrest report, going to the property room, putting everything in. You knew that that was just, it was expected. And if you were stuck on another call and a hot call came out and if that officer on that other call called your trainer and said, Hey, I think this will be a good training call. Mm-hmm. Don't question it. You're just going to, you're going to go, you're going to be two or three, you know, reports in the hole and better be, better be taking some good notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when you're young, when you're young and you just go to the Academy and you're an FTO, you're not on the job. I don't, I don't care if mm-hmm. you have a badge, an ID. I don't care if you carry your gun off duty. Mm-hmm. You're not on the job. No, nope. You're a probationary officer. Yeah. And so uh, this is a good conversation for me. <laughs> <laughs> to talk to, to you know the to 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 know we don't hear too much about fto stuff the, the you know the news doesn't doesn't hit a uh doesn't cover anything where where rookies are this is happening blah 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 but um i understand that you know getting getting recruits into the academy is such a tough thing 
It's such a tough thing. I remember working in LEPD backgrounds and people would come in. They couldn't figure out what you were talking about before. Um, they put, they put on the application, the um, business casual <clears throat> and um, the recruits couldn't figure out the business casual means you need to have a shirt and tie and a mm-hmm. jacket. They couldn't yeah. figure that part. Out. And they would come in shorts and t-shirts and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and, and the background investigators most likely had uh, anybody who was working backgrounds had 20 years on the job. They had retired, blah, blah, blah. They were kind of old school and they would constantly go and they, what is it? I want to send this guy home. Okay. And the, the, <laughs> they would go, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. Cause we don't want to, we don't want to alienate them. We don't want them to not apply. Yeah. Right. And right. I, I yeah. thought, boy, is that where we're at? Where where there's no professionalism, there's no this or that and the other thing. But hey, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't fall into this category that we're nope, talking about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because you're serious about being police officers. And a lot of times the people that listen to the podcast call me for consultations too, because there's they want to be cops and they don't want to mess around. So they call to say what what um, <clears throat> what can I do to not look bad to look good and all this kind of stuff, and so I'm happy that we have our listeners that are that are in that category. Uh, Jay, let's segue here. Let's segue into. Uh, I always like to talk to cops about war stories, so I'm hoping <laughs> I, you know if you brought a war story or two with you, that would be awesome. Do you have anything that you can share yeah. about the excitement of the job? Going back to staying within the, the, the topic of training and stuff, you know, your first your first code three run, oh, yeah. your first call. You know, I remember I was with with my first phase training um, corporal and we were on what we call third watch, which is from like three o'clock in the afternoon until about eleven o'clock midnight. Yes. So the busiest time of the day, right? Yes. Yes. And so <laughs> we had just taken uh, we had just taken a call. It was like a shoplift call or a theft call. And I remember we were parked behind a target or something. And back in the day, the at least with my agency, the keyboard would come off the little NBC platform in the squad oh, okay. car, and you could set it up on your steering wheel, and you could type from there. And so I'm sitting there typing away on this report and I hear the dispatcher get on, get on the radio and she's given us a code three assignment. And I kind of just freeze and I look at my keyboard <laughs> and I look over at my trainer and he's like strapping on his seatbelt, looking at me like, are we going to go on this? What are we doing? What are we doing? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I like throw the keyboard at him. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I put on my seatbelt. And I hit the lights and sirens and we just we tear ass out of the parking lot and I'm going down the street and I'm running code three for the first time ever. And cars are moving out of my way. And, you know, I'm coming up to intersections and and I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going and I'm going pretty fast. <laughs> and so the trainer looks at me, and goes, do you know where you're going? I go, I have no idea. You're going in the right direction. I'm like, OK, good. So he kind of takes over. It's like, all right, turn right here, turn right there. And I remember we cleared an intersection and, you know, you, we approached it. I hit the air horn a few times and it was red for me, but it was green for everybody else. So I saw everybody start stopping. So I punched it through. Well, on the southbound side, here comes this like F-350 dually, you know, and my trainer looks over and he just starts yelling, my side, my side, my side. And he's like literally jumping over the keyboard into my lap. 
thinking we're going to get hit, but we didn't, we, we made it. Right. So we get there, we get to the call location and it was, it was allegedly a criminal assault in progress that, you know, the, the guy had walked in and, and then the female was being assaulted and blah, 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 blah. So I jump out of the car and, you know, we get there and you can smell the brakes coming off the car. And that was like the first time oh, I smelled yeah. that ever since, you know, PVLC. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this is what it's about, baby. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and so I jump out. I can hear sirens coming, so I know the rest of the cavalry is coming. I jump out of the car. I run around the car. I start running up the stairs, and the, the complainant or the witness, the reporting person, standing up there is going, he's inside, he's inside. And so I remember running up the stairs and looking back, and my trainer is literally sitting in the car, like still trying to grab his breath, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so he sees me with the doors open. I start yelling. I draw my gun. And I start yelling, get on the ground, get on the ground, get on the ground. And my trainer starts yelling from the car, Jack, don't shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) And so he runs up the stairs. We go up there. We take the guy. Our suspect turned out to be our complainant. Our suspect had been, you know, he'd been clobbered on the head with something. I split his head open. He was on the ground. He was bleeding all over the place. Turns out, again, going back to it's never what the call sheet says it is. Mm. Uh, The RP was the girl's estranged husband or soon to be ex-husband who was basically stalking her, followed her home with her new boyfriend, came in and pummeled the guy. And so all of a sudden the ex is saying, oh, she was in the middle of being assaulted. And I came in and I, I rescued her. I saved her life. And here's the suspect. Take him to jail. And so we kind of sorted through everything and it was hilarious because, you know, you, you're, this is your first call. You're still amped up from all the code three driving. And so I'm sitting there taking information. I've called for an ambulance and, you know, the additional officers have gotten there. I'm asking them to do this, do that. And so I go into one of the back rooms and I'm talking to the female and they were foreign. All three parties were, were foreign, still spoke English, but with a, with a heavy accent. And the female, (laughs) the female is telling me, you know, it's evident that we weren't doing anything, you know, because look at the bed sheet. The bed is made. The sheets aren't messed up or anything. And I remember my trainer walking in and he goes, what? What did you just say? He's like, it's evident that we weren't doing anything. Look at the bed sheets. And he goes, ma'am. He goes, I've been known to blank standing up. So that means nothing to me. <laughs> oh, my so gosh. I'm sitting there looking at him like, oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to go get that other witness information. <laughs> I'm going to go over here. Oh, my gosh. So the day that he retired, I would walk by his desk and I would just throw that one liner out there. And he would start dying. <laughs> And everybody, everybody knew that story. It was hilarious. Oh, that's hilarious. so good. You know, one thing, <laughs> one thing that's cool about, about uh, talking about going code three, if you, um, I think that there's a certain, I don't know what made me think of this, but, but I was thinking if you ever put a help call out, there's something that is so great about hearing those sirens in the background and they slowly get louder and louder. And then the, the street fills with black and whites with the light bars on because the cow, Oh, I know what it was. You said the Calvary's coming and uh, Mm -hmm. being a cop, there's nothing like knowing 
that your brothers and sisters yeah. have your back. And Donovan, I'm sure Absolutely. you you were talking about it one time on oh, a yeah. podcast recently where you were saying that when you got shot, you slowly you had you heard the sirens and then you yeah. knew that the cavalry was coming. Yeah, you see those red and blue lights and all of a sudden you hear the siren and you're just like, "Okay, thank goodness they're on their way." <laughs> yeah. There's nothing it's like, like subliminally the, the Lone Ranger theme song is playing in the background <laughs> behind the sirens. Right? Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is one of the great things about about police work. You're never alone. You're never alone. Yeah. And we have a we have a good friend, uh Steve Gould, who's a, a cop in Massachusetts and his backup is 25 30 minutes away yeah. you know oh yeah, real yeah close. absolutely so um that was that was uh you know the going code three jay man i that is such a rush i mean i don't know what else yes. to put it there's a rush about going code three one time i was i was a young cop and i was working with this other this other young police officer and and um and they, you know, we heard the tones on, 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 in my day, you'd hear boop, boop, boop. And that was just to get everybody to, okay, listen up. There's a code three call coming out. And they yeah. said our car. And, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, oh boy, we get to go code three. And then my partner yeah. gets on the radio and she goes, uh, we're kind of far from that. Can you see if anybody else is closer? <laughs> oh, <geez. gasps> oh, and I wanted to be mature. I'm going, oh, good call, partner. Good call, partner. And I'm like, I want to go code three. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, code three is kind of cool. Kind of cool. Why don't yeah. you do it safely? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, hey, but if you can take the breath out of your field training officer in a code three <laughs> run, just leave him sitting in the car for a minute. That's a good code three run. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that, it's was like, it. that was it. I remember. I can see Jay. I, I can remember, see. you know, him sitting there just like, do you know where you're going? I have no idea. Uh-huh. Keep going because you're going the right. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I'm going to make a meme for Instagram going, do you, let's go code three. Do you know where you're going? No, let's go. <laughs> you're going the right direction. Keep going. I want to do that. Um, well, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of changing gears here. Twenty twenty was a was a big deal. And Donovan, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked you about this. But twenty twenty during the BLM riots and all this kind of stuff, and everybody hates cops, and and it's like it's like the same thing. We in twenty twenty, you go, do you hate cops? We hate cops. Why do you hate cops? I don't know. <laughs> because they hate cops. Because they hate cops. Because <laughs> somebody said to, and. Yeah. uh uh, did you guys, uh, especially for you, Jay, but Donovan, I've never asked you how, how did the 2020 writing and all that, did that affect you? Uh, I know on LA where I came from that, uh, the, the, the place burnt down or burnt police cars, cops were getting rocks and bottles of urine thrown at them and all this kind of crap. Um, how did that, how did that affect your, where, where you guys were working? Go ahead, Jay. So the night that those riots kicked off, um, I had already gone home. My shift was over. Uh, we knew that there was a big protest downtown, just like there was going to be a big protest all over the country. So we we mobilized all our units. We sent everybody down there. And it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. I remember getting phone calls and text messages. I remember all my gear was in my car, ready to go. They called us up. Um I remember we called in uh, additional 
support from the state troopers, uh, from other agencies, only because it was just overwhelming. And even if it wasn't to the point where it was overwhelming us, we wanted to have an overwhelming presence ready to go just to deter any of what we were seeing that was happening in New York City and L.A. and San Francisco and some of these other big cities, you know, because it was just a matter of time before it happened to us. And we did. We had a whole bunch of squad cars that were damaged, that were burned, um, officers that were injured, all the property damage that was going on in the uh, central business district, uh, just in the general downtown area. Uh, you had little hot pockets, you know, burning up down south, up north, all over the city. And not just in our city. I mean, it's it's just it was all over the Metroplex kind of deal, but it was concentrated in the big cities. And um, the next day, I remember I went out there and I was there probably 15, 16, 17 hours that day. Wow. I remember I remember I was there. We got there. We staged up. And by the time I got back to my home station, it was probably four or five o'clock in the morning. And it was just hell that day. I remember I drank probably six or seven, like those liter bottles of water. And not once did I have to go to the restroom because you were just sweating it out of you completely. Mm -hmm. You got home and your uniform was just nothing but white salt traces all over it. And that went on for about three or four days in a row. Um, And then for about a month after that, we were... Every day that we went into work, we were mobilizing a response team and going downtown. And not because we had riots or protests, but because there was a planned event. And we just wanted to have enough officers down there that if something popped off, we were ready to go. And we weren't at the point that initially we were right there, you know, a parking lot away from where the protesting was going on or the counter protesters were at. And then it just got to the point where, you know what, we're not going to be, we're not going to be that spark that says this, this, this cannon off here. We're just going to go ahead and mobilize around the block, two blocks down, stage everybody up here. And if something happens, everybody can just kind of rush on in. But it went on for about a month. And I remember it was just physically, mentally, emotionally, just draining. Mm -hmm. I remember after that month, I going up to my admin sergeant and going, Hey, take me off the rotation. You know, Oh, nobody else wants to go. You know, all the other guys are senior to you. I get, I said, I get it. But you know what? There's there's six, seven of us supervisors running around. Start spreading that around, you know, because it's it's too much. It's mm-hmm. getting to be too much. And you had the whole COVID thing going on. You had the whole elections are coming up and you had all the rhetoric that was going on anywhere you turn, any social media platform you turn, any news channel you turn to. You, you talk to a friend and it was the same thing. It was just overload. Mm-hmm. It was just overload. And it was funny because on more than one occasion when we were up on the line and we had groups of younger people coming up to us, even some older people and arguing and, you know, F police and, you know, F12 and this and that. And you would sit there and listen to them. And when they saw that it wasn't really getting to you, they were like, aren't you pissed? And I'm like, what am I supposed to be pissed off about? I have a job. This is my job. I'm getting paid to be here. What are you doing? What are you so pissed off about? Well, I'm pissed off about police brutality. When were you the victim of police brutality? Well, I wasn't. Well, how, what is it that's setting you up? Well, I saw what they did. Well, you saw half of it because like any other coin, there's two sides to every coin. And I remember a few times actually having 
very engaging conversations with some young people that walked away going, I had no idea. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I never saw that on the news. And when you tell them, Google this, Google that, and they see it and they read it for themselves, they're like, wow. And then you sit there and you look at them and go, you're the, you're the technology and information generation. Everything is at your fingertips. Don't just assume that what's coming off your feed is the God honest truth because it's not. Question everything. Mm-hmm. I read a, I read an article in a in a large MSN. Um, I don't know if it's New York Times or, or you know a big publication, and they went around asking people. They asked uh, people how many how many black young black men unarmed young black men were shot by police in a, in a given year, and people were saying ten thousand. And then at the end, yeah. when they when they went down this st- statistics where they actually had confrontations with where police had to shoot somebody, it was it was under a hundred for the and that doesn't mean the, the ones that were killed. It was just the confrontations alone. It was under a hundred nationwide. But somehow or another, these people got ten thousand in their mind. And then what they do is they turn that they turned that to the police in twenty twenty, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's just the way it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it works, right? You get these stupid and 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 as far as Instagram goes, I had to make my Instagram go private because of stupidity. Mm-hmm. People were so dumb, and I couldn't deal with it on an ongoing basis. Uh, it's like whack a mole, you know, yeah. <laughs> they keep popping yeah. up. Yep. And Donovan, did you guys have to go to to Seattle or anything like that? Yeah, so we we were sending our. Um our civil disturbance unit up to help Seattle out because I mean, it was crazy up there. Um, But I mean, as you watch things progress and the way the Seattle city council started handling things (laughs) with um, banning certain techniques and stuff, a lot of the agencies around here uh, stepped back and said, Hey, um, we feel bad for you guys, but it's not safe for us to be there. That's Um, right. So some agencies didn't go. And and so we were actually helping out some other agencies in the area who were having some issues. I think we only had in our city, like one night where a group tried to come in and do some sort of a riot kind of smash and grab kind of thing. But um, we put an end to that pretty quick and they moved on. Um, But I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the officers that did go up and had to help out, it was, it was intense for them. I, I mean, fortunately, fortunately, unfortunately for me, I mean, um, we were already in a hiring crisis and they're like, we ain't putting heaven or anywhere near that. We got to get bodies into the department quick. So just keep, yeah. keep your hiring thing going. Um, so I didn't have to go. Um, Put a disclaimer out there. This is not a direct reflection on us. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, we, we felt it here. Um, and we felt a lot of the stuff that was going on in Seattle and, and, you know, hiring some of those guys from Seattle down to our department oh, right. and, uh, and hearing the stories. I mean, my heart goes out to all those Seattle coppers who, who worked within the means that they were given, and and they were at a severe disadvantage to most other agencies around the country having to deal with that. So uh, it was it was tough over here. Yeah, and uh, Jay, uh, uh, kind of kind of going along with this in as a result of 2020, and obviously it's in the news all over the place. Recruitment sucks so bad right now for any agency have you seen um your recruitment units take a hit at where you're at absolutely absolutely um we do a lot of recruiting not just within the city but our teams go out to different parts of the country they go out to you know 
the Northeast, Northwest, California, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, you know, everywhere. They go out to the military academies. They go, you know, wherever there is a potential uh, pool of candidates, they will go out there and put the department out there that we're looking for people. And and, and bless those guys, because I'm sure that, you know, they run across all kinds of stuff. And I've seen the the merits of their work and some really good candidates that we get that you just that leave you impressed. Like, wow, nowadays this kid really. And then I've seen the ones that get through and, you know, they come in with the with the mindset of I'm going to be a social justice warrior and I'm going to be the one cop that straightens out law enforcement in the country. And I'm going to be the chief of police in 10 years and I'm going to you know create all these programs. And the first time they get to a physical altercation and they're handed their butt to them, they're like, nobody told me this was part of the job. <laughs> you know, but the first time they have to deal with, you know, somebody that's, you know, mental health patient, uh, one of one of our mental health consumers, and they have to go hands on with them. They are despondent. They are in a, in a world of nobody told me this. Nobody. Why, you guys have to deal with this sometimes two or three times a day, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen them come into my office and go, I need to turn in my resignation letter. And this is going, you know, a month or two into their FTO program. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and I, and I look at them and I go, well, why is it that you feel this way? And I let them vent because I want the, I want them to hear themselves talking out loud. And then when I hear them, it's not my job to, no, 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 no. That was just a one-time isolated incident. I guarantee you it's never going to happen again, blah, 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 blah. My thing is to look at them and go, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. There's no shame in this, regardless of what you may hear or may not hear. I'm, I'm satisfied at the fact that you are able to draw this conclusion on your own because I would hate for you to have to stay here somewhere where you're not happy, where you don't see a future for yourself, where you get to the point where you are just going through the motions and forget the fact that everything that we do affects not just you, but A, the citizens that we are here to protect and serve, and then the fellow officers that count on you to be there. Mm-hmm. So right. if you feel that you can't get into the middle of an altercation and you know take a punch or two and try to subdue a suspect, um, then you know what? You're probably right. This is probably not for you. And a lot of these kids, and I say kids because they're younger than me, but a lot of these individuals, you know, they're, they're college graduates. Some of them are even right out of the military. And you kind of sit there and wonder, what did you do? What did you not do in the military that would not give you, you know, the, the experience or at least a working knowledge that, stuff like this happens on a daily basis, you know? And, and I see a lot of young, younger people that come out that don't shy away from it, but are so impacted by it that you observe them on the next call. And it's, it may be a, just a, a domestic call. It may be a disturbance between a store vendor and a, and a, and a you know, homeless individual or somebody at the store that they want removed. And you see their anxiety level just amp up. Mm. You see their hands shaking. You see them stuttering. And it's like, calm down, you know, take a breath. You know, your first your first line of defense is just your presence. So if you have a good officer presence about you, 
you're already commanding the room when you walk in. Yeah. The next thing that comes out of your mouth is going to solidify that because we are walking into people's private residences. We're walking into a public store, into a parking lot, into a hospital, whatever the case might be. So be sure that what you're going to say next is something that is going to get their attention and it's going to get their compliance. Because if it's not, if you sit there and open up for roadside court on somebody that you pulled over because they blew that red light, almost caused a wreck, and you find out they've got a suspended driver's license and four outstanding tickets from another agency, that's a, that's a gimme. You're going to jail. Mm-hmm. But don't sit there and, oh, you know, debate this and debate that. We're not doing roadside court. I'll see you in 21 days. <laughs> you know? Yep. But they don't have, a lot of them don't have, um, not the fortitude but maybe just the experience or the confidence in them to say, I'm in charge. I'm not just driving down the street randomly picking houses to stop in and barge in and go, Hey, what's going on? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you called me, you called me. There is something going on in your house between you two, three, four adults that you as adults can't figure out that you need a non-involved third party to come in here and sort it out for you. Guess what? I'm that non-involved third party. Yeah, right. going back to that part where you're talking about, you know, people people going into the police work because they think they're going to be the change. It, it doesn't work that way because you can go in there and you can go out in the field as a new police officer thinking, oh, I'm going to change the world because blah, blah, blah. And what I, what I read in the, in the news and all that kind of stuff. And what in reality happens is these coppers go out there, they're, they're brand new cops and they go out there and somebody wants to kick their ass and be, and you and you can't go... But, but bro, I'm, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. And yep. they, they don't care. They don't care. All they see is a badge and a uniform and you are the enemy. They don't care that you're an ally. Right. So anybody that thinks about going into police work to change everything, you're going to be, you're going to see, you'll be sadly mistaken when you, uh, when you get out there, it's not like that. So right. <clears throat> it, that's always interesting because there are stories about that. You, you read about the stories of the officer. The only reason you hear about the stories where the officers go into police work because they wanted to change it or because they got in trouble doing something uh, while they were doing police work and then it made yeah. the news. That's the only yeah, reason you hear about it. have a general order named after you. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, in, uh, in closing, in closing, um, Given, you know, you made you made uh, a comment earlier about people. I can't remember the comment. The, the, oh, it, where it used to be a, a thing of pride where you go, oh, my dad's a cop, my uncle's a cop, my my aunt's a cop. And it used to be this this thing of pride where you were able to do that. Nowadays, you really can't do that so much. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. But it's not like this big thing where you just, so cool you know oh your dad's a cop how cool is that and we've we've run into people that have lost friends because they want to be a cop and automatically you're a piece of crap um you know you're part of them and all this kind of stuff what words of wisdom or motivation would you have for people that still want to be cops what would you say to them (laughs) what i tell people nowadays um is a this is a job It's a job, but not unlike a chef at a restaurant, unlike a bank teller, unlike a customer service rep. This is a job where you get to wear 10 different hats in eight hours. You are a police officer. You are a counselor. 
you are a priest, you are a confidant, you are a best friend, you are a doctor, you are everything that that person needs you to be for those five, 10, 15 minutes. And it's not just that person on a call, it's your partner, it's somebody you work with, it's everybody that is coming in contact with you. My advice is to the officers that wanna do this, to the individuals that are out there that still wanna do this job, do this because this is what you want to do. Do this understanding that you have to take the good with the bad. There's gonna be losses, there's gonna be victories, there's gonna be good days, there's gonna be bad days. And the one piece of advice that I remember one of my trainers instilled in me was have friends that are not cops. Mm. Have friends that don't do this job. Because as a rookie officer, I got into I got into that little I got roped into that tradition, for lack of better words, of on my days off, I would hang out with my buddies. On my days off, we'd go to the bar, we'd go shoot pool, we'd go to the range, we'd do we would do cop stuff on days that we were off mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. being around other individuals when you were with your, your spouse, or your significant other. And, you know, this guy is a insurance agent or this lady is a school teacher. This lady is that you had nothing in common with them. And you were like, I'm so bored. I'm so bored, you know, and then they find out you're a cop and they want to ask all kinds of stuff about you. And you're like, Oh, I'm so tired of asking <laughs> the same, answering the same questions, blah, 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 blah. Have friends that are not cops. Do things that are not cop related on your off days. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying um, forego everything because even Donovan, can you know this? We go to a restaurant nowadays and we sit with the, you know, the door in our sights. We walk around a bank and we see the dude with the trench coat, you know, and it's 97 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. We see stuff that other people don't see and would never see. And when you point it out to them, they're like, Oh my God, how did you see that? Because it's a second nature. Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And that develops after time. And so, that but be, be, be yourself outside of your uniform, have fun, have hobbies. Yeah. And I will say even after 42 years, uh, when I started even 42 years later, I still, I still am uncomfortable in certain situations where I see things oh, yeah. like that. It never leaves you. It never leaves yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, Donovan, do you, do you have any additional questions for, for Jay? I don't. This is, this has been an awesome episode, Ken. Yeah, that's great, man. That's right. Now you know why when I first talked to Jay, I'm like, you gotta be on the podcast, man. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> gotta no have kidding. you. I'm I'm glad that Minerva couldn't make it today. I don't know if everyone else is, but I'm glad Minerva didn't make it today. So, but uh, yeah, Jay, thanks for being here, man. Because that's just been an, an uh, uh, you told us a lot of, of good information, and uh, I think it'll be good. I think our our listeners will uh, enjoy this. And if you if you get done listening to this and you want to uh, send a message to Jay to say, hey. You got, you know, that was awesome or anything like that. Just send it to me, Ken at policebackground.net. I'll get the information. I'll get the message to Jay that you, uh, that you enjoyed this, but Jay, thank you again. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. so, um, you be safe out there because it's not getting any safer as far as I can tell from the news, but I hate to say that, um, uh, but I know that uh, my wife used to say, I, I, I would ask her, Hey, did you ever, when I was working patrol, did you ever, um, did you ever like 
get scared or anything? And now that it's all over, right? I mean, do you ever get scared? And she, she would say, no, I knew you were well-trained and I knew you were good at your job. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure that's the same for you, Jay, that uh, you are well-trained, you know what you're doing, you, you've, um, uh, you know, you've kept alive all these years, given all the situations you, you and I'm sure you're going to scoot into retirement at some point, um, fully intact. So, <laughs> um, again, guys, thank you a lot, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.